Welcome to a special edition of The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshe Amit Synagogue talks with author Jonathan Eig about Rosh Hashanah. So you ready for Rosh Hashanah? I'm trying to get my head in that space. It um, always takes a little bit of work for me to, uh, I don't know, just to get out of my routine and start thinking about things beyond my normal um, stresses and strains and take on the uh, take on that, that mode. So I'm, I'm working on it. You're not alone in that. The whole month of Elul, the month before Rosh Hashanah, is really devoted to that, right? We actually sound the shofar every morning to kind of get into a different headspace to and to really prepare for the new year. Do you have any memories of um, hearing the shofar sounded when you were young? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember it because um, I was a trumpet player, um, and I was very passionate about my trumpet playing. Um, that's what I wanted to do for a long time. It was either that or play professional baseball or you know, be a jazz trumpeter. So I was always really paying attention to the shofar from a, sort of a technical standpoint to see how it was done and to see how well it was played and you know, wondering if I could ever play it um, as well as the, as, the, as the man blowing it in our shul. Uh, never got the chance, though. I have to tell you a funny story. When I was young, I also played the trumpet. Ultimately, played the tuba, believe it or not, <laughs> uh, both in high school and college. But uh, my grandfather was very involved in the synagogue that we uh, belonged to. And I asked him, uh, I told him I wanted to, uh, to learn to blow the shofar. I was probably about uh, 10 years old, maybe 11. So he took me to the synagogue uh, chauffeur blower's house. And we had one guy who was very good at this. And I was really excited about holding a shofar and getting a, having a chance to sound it. And all we did the entire time was do breathing exercises. And he taught me about the diaphragm and all. And, and there was a shofar sitting up on that table. All I wanted to do was sound the shofar. And at the end of our lesson, which, by the way, I never did touch the shofar, he opened up uh, his desk and he took out a different shofar. And he held it up and he said, this is what it should sound like. And he just, each note... Kiyash, Farim, it was just perfect. And I was just mesmerized. But what I noticed was when he took his hand away from the shofar is that he had put a trumpet mouthpiece into his shofar. Ah, interesting. Which is, by the way, against Jewish law. And <laughs> because you have to sound the shofar, you don't, you don't have any uh, help in that. And I just went home thinking, I'm never going back to this guy. I am, <laughs> uh, you know, and so it kind of just put a little bit of a damper on it. But, you know, that moment when we hear the chauffeur sounded on Rosh Hashanah is unlike any other. And there's no cheating allowed. You can't, you can't, get, you can't rig it. Come on. I, exactly. We, you know, we can't, you know, sometimes at the synagogue, we have uh, war veterans uh, who pass away. And they and the, um, the the military sends an honor guard, which is really just a beautiful ceremony, uh, folding the flag that was on the coffin and all of that. And then there's a person playing the trumpet of the coronet, and they play taps. Mm -hmm. But what they have what they've devised is a recording of taps that somehow is with a little speaker that's inside of the horn. So the person puts the the horn to their mouth, and you hear them playing taps, but they're not really playing taps. It's a recording of it. <laughs> I could have got one of those recordings to make me sound like Louis Armstrong. Exactly. Exactly. But we can't do that with a shofar. It has to be 
done according to the ancient style. And if you think about it for a minute, there are very few things that we experience in the same way as, let's say, Moses or Joshua or Jews or Rabbi Akiva, Jews throughout history, right? The foods that we eat aren't really the same foods in general. The prayers that we say have been developed over time. So I'm quite sure that Moses wouldn't know what to do with a machzor for the high holidays. He had a, he was much more focused, as one might expect, on the sacrificial cult and all of that. One of the only things that we actually share with our more ancient brethren is the sounding of the shofar. The shofar sounds the same. Mm-hmm. So we're actually hearing what they heard. And we're ex- sharing an experience through time, which I always think is such a wonderful and powerful idea. Yeah, that's great. I hadn't really thought about that, that, um, you know, it's exactly the same sound um, and the same feeling. And, you know, it's one of those great things that unites us, that links us to the to, uh, the past. No question. But there are also differences. In other words, if we would have been present during the time of Moses, the notion of sounding a horn at the new year or making noise of some sort wouldn't have been all that different than what was taking place in other societies, other cultures, because the idea was that you could make a loud noise. You could do something that is so jarring that the evil spirits that are lurking about will hide. They will uh, flee. And so in a way, in the ancient world, the sounding of the shofar or the the making of noise at the new year was an act of preparation for the new year. And what's happening for Jews is it's, it's the exact opposite. For the Israelites, the shofar is a calling instrument. It's an instrument that we use to call out to God to come to us or for us to wake up and return to God. I think it's such an interesting issue that the shofar ultimately for Jews is a calling instrument. Are you saying that it does both, that it wakes us up and calls us to pay attention and and it's also calling God to hear our prayers? Right. Maimonides says, you know, wake up. It's like the uh, Jewish alarm clock, right? Mm -hmm. It's time to get going. This is more serious. We're not just here to eat apples and honey, although that is a really wonderful part of the whole experience, but we're here to involve ourselves in the business of tshuva, of of examining ourselves, examining our deeds, to look within, and both as individuals within our family unit, within our communities, but also as a people, where are we? What are we doing? And are we living lives, both as individuals and as a community, worthy of God's presence? How do we measure up to our own humanness? I I think all of these are questions that the shofar is raising with us. Uh, yeah, I like the idea of the the alarm clock that, uh, that that's waking us up. But as you know, in, in the real world, you have the option, or at least in the daily world, you have the option to hit the snooze button um, and roll back over. And the shofar doesn't give you that option. So I guess the question is, what can we do to make sure we, we really do wake up and that we really are alert to that sound. Well, I think there's this notion of gratitude. Look, I I don't know about you, but when I hear the shofar, I always think, gosh, it's, I haven't heard that sound for a year, right? This is, it's Rosh Hashanah again. I've been given another year. And whatever challenges, and there have been many, both a societal level, I am so grateful for having been given another year. But at the same time, 
I'm also very much aware that I have responsibilities and how have I met them. And remember that Rosh Hashanah leads to Yom Kippur. So, you know, you can push the snooze button, but Yom Kippur is coming, right? It's 10 days later. So do that at your own risk. That's a good reminder that, you know, and I wonder too, you know, we, we talk a lot about the differences between doing these things in person and doing them over Zoom. And, you know, you and I have been doing these conversations electronically, remotely, instead of looking each other in the eye. You know, I wonder if we'll get to hear the shofar in person this year and how much more powerful that will be. Um, it's yeah. still tough having to hear it over the Zoom. I don't think there's any question about it. My grandmother, when she got old, would, you know, was, would have to listen to the services on the radio in Miami when she couldn't make it to, to Shul anymore. And I think it was great that for her that she was still able to, to hear it at all. She, it meant a lot to her. But it's not the same as being in the room, in the community, and hearing it, the, as you said, the way it was heard by our ancestors you know, in the desert. There's no question about it. Ultimately, though, like uh, what the rabbis would say, it's called kissing through a veil, right? You know, hearing the shofar through your computer or on television or through the radio is like kissing through a veil. Ultimately, the shofar is a instrument of hope. And I would ask you, because it, the tekiah gedola is really about the redemption. It's a reminder that we can get there. We can do this. So what are you hopeful about this year? Wow, so much. I mean, I'm hopeful that we are coming back together as a community, that, you know, progress uh, is being made, that uh, we will be together again, and we will hear, you know, the shofar and everything else in person, because it's hard work being cut off from the people we care about. I think among my biggest hopes this year is that we can all return to feeling like a community and sharing things, you know, more intimately. I'm with you there, and I guess I would, I would just build on that a little bit is that we have so many warning signs. We're at the crossroads on so many issues. And the shofar is a very powerful reminder to us of the danger of hitting the snooze button, to go back to your analogy. And my hope is, is that we'll take things seriously and that we can make tshuva. That's part of the hope is that we do have the power to change. It doesn't have to always be this way, right? We're not hardwired to fail. In the Jewish tradition, we're actually given the tools to succeed, but that success needs to have a higher cause, a higher power. And from my vantage point, my hope is, is that we'll learn to walk with God, whatever that means, and also be guided by wisdom that goes beyond yourself and maybe beyond cable news. But the wisdom that comes from life experience, the wisdom that comes from the ages, and I would put the Torah first and foremost for Jews. Jonathan, I wish you and your family a Shana Tova, a very healthy, happy, and sweet new year, as do our whole community as well. Thanks. Shana Tova. Shana Tova, Mutukah.